Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Hey man, before you hear my interview with Rich Moore of Pure Desire Ministries, I want to give you a little warning and a correction. The warning is that Rich is about to tell his story of being reported for criminal sexual activity and how that jump-started his journey to lasting freedom and healing when he faced the natural consequences of his behavior. If you are a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, this episode may be triggering for you. And we talk a lot more about the experiences of the person being reported than the person who is being harmed. And the update and the correction I need to make is that really the primary purpose of reporting illegal activity is preventative. It is to protect the child or the adult who is vulnerable or who is being harmed. And that is the most important thing. That's why these laws are in place. And I have had to learn so much about why reporting is essential, when to do it. And in this interview, you will hear a little bit more. So keep that in mind when you're listening to this episode. It's an amazing story, and I know you're going to get a lot out of it. Today on the show, I'm really grateful to have with me Rich Moore of Pure Desire Ministries. He is the director of all of the men's recovery groups. Is that right? Correct. Yep. Awesome. And a fellow PSAP, which is fun. Yeah. Yeah. So welcome, Rich. Glad to be here. Glad glad to have, have this time with you today. It's going to be awesome. What else do people need to know about Rich Moore? Uh, in the short version, um, let's see. I've been on staff with Pure Desire for about seven years, coming up on seven years. But I've been a part of the ministry for since it started, really. So 25, 26 years. Um, been leading groups for 25 of those years. Um, Ted really got a hold of me, hasn't let go, and has basically poured into my life uh, this whole whole entire time. And uh, so thankful for the ministry and, and what it's done for me and what Ted and Diane have done for me. And it's really just given me a new life, uh, save, save my life. And, uh, um, so outside of ministry, uh, married uh, between my wife and I, we have kind of a blended family. So six kids, 11 grandkids. Uh, I'm an avid golfer, as you can kind of see from some golf stuff up on the wall behind me and on the shelf. Uh, yeah, just, uh, a normal guy with a, a lot of brokenness, just like all of us. And, and uh, I get to do this for a living and get to help guys. So I uh, love it. And you talk about the impact that Dr. Ted Roberts has had on you. I think you grew up going to his church, right? Correct. Uh, I've been going to the East Hill church is where we're at. Um, been going there for 44 years now, I believe 44 years. Wow. And uh, I was actually there before Ted. So um you know, Ted came to uh, East Hill in the, in, I think the around early eighties, I think it was, and uh, just kind of followed him and, you know, grew up under him. And um, I was out of control with my, my addiction and, you know, and that's how kind of got involved with Ted, obviously um, in the mid or early nineties. And uh, uh, from there on, you know, just developed a relationship. He was the first guy I really ever trusted. Um, he's, he really poured into me and, um, developed that relationship where we still have that relationship today. So it's been pretty special. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a, definitely a blessing to have. 
And Rich, when you say he saved your life, I know you mean that quite literally. So how did that happen? What is your story? Uh, unfortunately, you know, my story is not too, too uncommon. Uh, I was abused when I was four years old. Um, and even go back further than that, my, my real father actually left my mom shortly after I was born. And then so my mom, a single mom with, with two boys, and then I was uh, abused sexually when I was four, uh, really started acting out kind of when I figured out what acting out was, maybe six or seven, and really out of control, like a fantasy life by the age of 12. Um you know, masturbating daily, especially as you get older, you start, your body starts changing, then you really kind of figure it out. And uh, shortly after that, uh, when I was 14 years old, literally out of control, fantasy life, you name it. Um, when I was 14, I ended up uh, abusing my niece, uh, kind of telling her the same things that was told to me when I was abused at four. Um, and uh, went from there it's hard to talk about even so, so long ago. I was 14. She was four and, uh, um, just, just out of control spiraling down. Um, and then from there on, you know, I'm a big guy and you can kind of tell from the screen, but, uh, been a big guy. And, and short soon after that with my buddies, we, we found some, some topless bars that we were able to get into, uh, as, as underage kids. And, and uh, we hung out in that. And then as I got older, I was frequenting, frequenting those places quite often and many relationships with those ladies. And then even outside of that, a lot of one night stands and uh, just hooking up random hookups and just literally out of control and always in the back of my mind, knowing what I did to my niece years before as, as a kid, as a 14 year old. I just knew eventually it would, it would come out. Um, never told anybody, but at the same time, I wasn't doing anything to get any better. I was just out of control. And uh, yeah, that's, and then we were in a playing in a softball tournament in the summer and my brother asked me or basically said, Hey, we need to talk. And I knew exactly what he was, what he was talking about. Uh, and then, so we talked and, and, uh, I admitted everything and he said, that's exactly what she said. And then from there on, it just progressed, you know, and, um, he is a police officer still as a police officer. And so we went through the process and it, he had to report it. Um, and that's, you know, and, and thankfully he did. That's the one thing that I think in my life, uh, grateful for, even though, I was facing uh, 49 years in prison for something I had done as a 14 year old. Cause this came out about seven, eight years after the incident um, measure 11 passed here in Oregon. And I was one of the, the first ones that were kind of charged under measure 11 guidelines. And it was mandatory minimum sentencing. And I was looking at 49 years and, and knowing that the consequences were going to be pretty heavy. I just had to get it off my chest and, admitted everything, did exactly what I needed to do. Um, I, that's when Ted right at that time, 95 ish summer, right in there is when I was working with Ted and got in a group with Dr. Roberts and just started getting connected and went through the process, legal process. And uh, by God's grace, went into sentencing thinking I was going to go to prison for 49 years. 
maybe get lucky, do half of that time. Uh, literally walked out of there with a 10 year probation sentence and no prison. Um, and then, but I have, and then registering, you know, you have to uh, offender registration. Uh, I've been off paper since 2007 and, um, actually a week from now or a week from now. Yeah. Roughly, or in a couple of weeks, I, it would be about, I'd be looking at about 24, 23, 24 years left if I would have got sentenced. Um, and then here I am been leading groups for 25 years helping men, you know, my goal, I remember telling Ted early on is like, I just want to help one, one guy not do what I did and then help save one child. Um, and that just the story alone, I've talked to thousands of guys over the years from all over the country, all over the world, facing the sim similar things and, and then really struggling with almost getting to that point of abusing a child. So I know it's, it's helped more than just one man, one kid. Um, but it's, it's quite the, just been quite the journey for sure. Rich, you mentioned a few times being out of control. Mm -hmm. What helped you regain control? Pretty, pretty easy. Uh, easy in a sense. Uh, the, the initial thing was uh, being reported uh, and facing the legal consequences because right away, you're now you've got you've got a, a severe consequence tied to my action um there was things i had to do even before i was charged i was in i started offender treatment program even before i was charged i did all these things i was in a pd group and you know you have to check in with your pre-sentence investigation officer and all that stuff there was, so i was doing all these things before sentencing um so i and and then knowing that knowing very well that even I was doing that, I could still go to prison. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a little bit, just being sentenced to probation. Um, what really helped me be under control was knowing that, okay, I've been, con I'm convicted, but I didn't go to prison. Now I have a probation officer. Um, in 10 years of probation, I took 48 polygraphs and in, in other tests and court order treatment uh, past them all, um, that will, will, will straighten you up pretty quick. Um, but I could tell you just being in an accountability group with the pure desire guys, uh, and working with Ted all these years, that really, um, that really helped. And, and knowing that I couldn't control anything, I had to give it all to God in the whole process because the way I was doing it wasn't working, obviously. And I had no choice but to say, okay, I'm going to give into this process and do whatever it takes and let God heal me. And um, it was hard because growing up, I didn't trust God because how can you trust God when, when people in your life, when you suffer abandonment or abuse and, and, and knowing that, and even at first it was hard to trust Ted just because he's, he's a guy, right. And he's that father figure. And, so, and then why could I, how could I trust God if he let it happen to me? Um, but, and then, so working with that relationship with Christ, I mean, there's times even still now that are like, well, God, I think I got this. And then he's quick to remind me that he's got it. I'm going to make a mess of it. So, yeah. <laughs> I feel that while you say that. Oh, that's so true. Right. What really 
blows my mind is how being legally reported became such a blessing to you. Yep. That seems to go against all of our instincts and all of our feelings. Mm-hmm. How can being reported become a blessing? Boy, I get, I get kind of emotional thinking about that because it's, you would think that it's not right. And, and even though I didn't go to prison, there was still the, the probation and everything. But even if I went to prison, I think I was okay with the fact that that's where I was headed. But I knew early on in this process of the legal stuff that the only way to freedom was I had to face the consequences. And that's kind of what I was, you know, Ted was talking with me through that and, and, and another group leader and just the group process is like, I had to be okay with that. Um, though I was scared to death of going away. Um, but I look at the courage one that it, my brother and sister-in-law, um, it took them to, to confront me and, and, and then uh, go through with the, the reporting. Um, I know it was hard on them, um, obviously hard on my niece and, and uh, that whole process. And, um, you know, I just learned through that process is like, and, and what I tell guys right now that are facing that are actually going into prison, you know, they're, they've been sentenced. So they have a turn self in date or they know that they're going away. It's like, I just remember early on, feeling knowing that regardless if I went away or not, if I, if I was in prison, I may be locked up for the rest of my life, but that doesn't mean I can't experience freedom from sexual addiction, even if I'm confined. So that's what I share with the guys that are in prison or headed to prison. Just because you're locked up doesn't mean you can't find freedom from this. It just so happens that God helped me find freedom from it without being locked up, but still face those same consequences, you know, and, and through that whole process of counseling and everything, I went through reunification with my family. Um, you know, when my, my niece had her first two children, when they were born, I was able, I was at the hospital to see her two kids. I've talked to her over the years. Um, my brother and I have a, a business together. We golf together. I talk to him every day. Um, not every day, but we talk frequently and, um, and it's just a lot of work. I remember him telling me, he goes, if you ever want to be a part of my family, you know, we got to see change and do the work. And, and that was the one thing that I cherished is because I, I, the one guy I always trusted, never not trusted was, was my brother. And, uh, for him to give me a second chance and bring me back into the family, uh, that was huge and, um, so grateful because it could be a different story. You you don't hear my story in the sense of the reunification process and the rebuilding of, of a family that way, when there's been a sexual abuse in the family, nine times out of 10, it goes the opposite way. Um, so it was, it was, a ton of hard work, uh, but I knew that if it, if it was if I wanted to have those relationships, I had to do the work. and And Ted instilled me instilled that in me. Um, it was painful. It was hard. It was long. Cost a fortune, you know. Uh, so there was a lot of 
a lot of things, but it was, it was very freeing. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life is, is walk through that process. And, um, and now I get to share that with, with guys, whether on a podcast or we go, I go speak somewhere on the phone in groups. Um, there's literally nothing. I, I believe God kept me out of prison. There's nothing he can't do and helping set me free of this um, is a, is, is pretty remarkable. You know, it's, it's quite, um, quite humbling just to do what I do. It's amazing. And I want to say thank you so much for helping me in the consultations that we've had, um, in trying to sort through legal questions that I've had and, mm-hmm. and when do we need to report things and, and how does that work? So could you maybe talk a little bit to somebody who's wondering if I might need to report a friend or somebody who I'm connected to, how would they know if they're supposed to do that? And, and what does that look like? Yeah. You know, it's really tough and it, it, it's all different state to state. Um, the different reporting guidelines, the, the, the biggest thing to do is to really get a hold of your state reporting guidelines. And there's there, they kind of walks you through that who's protected from reporting, who's not re- uh, protected from reporting, uh, what things are reportable. You know, I mean, we know when we're in a group setting that if somebody is saying that they're abusing children, I mean, that is, that's reportable. I mean, that's, that's one of those things that, you know, whether you're a teacher, a counselor, um, a group leader, a pastor, when anything kind of something like that comes out, we just know that those are those things that are kind of non-negotiable. we got to report. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of gray areas on, well, do we report? How do we report? You know, child porn is another one. It's like viewing it as against the law, but a lot of times it's hard to report because there's no quote real victim. So a lot of times they won't do anything. So the best thing to do with like those legal questions is really for the people that are listening today is if you're a counselor, group leader, um, anything like that, clergy member, it's, it's really just connecting with the local authorities and, and finding out what is reportable in your area. And a lot of times for group leaders, because we're all volunteer group leaders, you know, in, in the local church, peer desire groups around the country, they're all led by volunteer leaders. And, if, the, if something may sound reportable, you can always refer out and say, hey, you can make a phone call. Is this report? The authorities will tell you whether it is or not, you know, but we always tell people in the church, it's like, hey, your first thing to do is if you have something come up in group is to talk with your pastor and then you guys come up with your plan on what to do next. Um, you know, we have some kind of just basic guidelines, but it's really like I said, state to state, it's, it's different in a lot of gray areas. And, um, ultimately we just want to make sure that we're protecting the local church and the group members, um, when, when something has to be reported. And the primary purpose of reporting criminal sexual activity is actually for the victims and to prevent further harm. It's also important for the organization too, though. And after hearing your story, it's so clear that part of this is actually a form of grace to the person who's being reported. Mm-hmm. The grace to face those natural consequences. Yeah. And I have those conversations, unfortunately, it seems like almost every day where somebody calls and they've, they've been reported and they're, they're 
freaking out because they're they know that they're going to prison i mean i just talked to a guy last week and you know he's probably going to go away for quite a while and i had the same conversation i just had with when we talked about a little bit it says hey this is your opportunity to knowing that you're going away is is to take this healing process serious and and find freedom within the confines of of the prison you're going to be at just because you're locked up doesn't mean there's no hope you know he has a potential to do great things within the prison walls once he finds freedom from the addiction and, and, and work with other guys. And, and right now I think we're in, we have groups running about 17 prisons around the country. So wow. that are running seven pillars groups. So that's amazing. Rich, what would you say to somebody who has a memory of sexually acting out with someone else when they were younger or something like what you did, how would you guide somebody to decide, do I need to report myself? Yeah, that's tough. It's tough. One, first and foremost, if somebody wants to basically disclose something like that, uh, before they get to that point, I will let them know, um, hey, if if you're going to share anything that could be a legal issue, uh, you might want to get seek some legal counsel uh, first, um, you know. And and what we do here is is if if somebody says yeah, because I I know that, but uh, I just want to tell you anyway. I just got to get it off my chest, and then I say, well, I'm a mandatory reporter, and then I'll go through the steps. And um, but what I can tell you is, if you don't tell somebody, um, it'll kill you inside. It's, it'll literally eat you alive inside because there's not a day that goes by even, and I'll talk about my life. There's not a day that goes by that. I don't remember what happened to me when I was four. And then there's not a day that goes by that. I don't remember what I did to my niece when I was 14. So, and knowing that people around the world know my story, there's still, I, I still think about it daily. You know, and to and and I have people that know my story that are part of my circle, and you know that circle of influence, and then where, you know, uh, great accountability. You know, like with Ted and and just all these great people and these these group members I have had over the years, they all know my story. But to live a life where you have something that you want to say, but you're so ashamed of what happened, you basically live your life in a prison where you can't get it out and and it just eats you alive. So you're living your own prison really. And it's, I remember, I remember before it came out, I just wanted to break loose, but I was so scared. And then once it came out, I was like, thank God. I mean, literally that was like when my brother confronted me and we had a conversation, I literally felt like I could breathe. I was like, I don't have to hide anymore. It's scary. The scariest thing one would do, but freeing, you know, I can live my whole life scared or I can admit it and seek freedom and accept the consequences. That's a hard decision to make. (laughs) Yeah. And I resonate with part of what you said about how it's so terrifying, but so liberating to open up about the things that we're most ashamed of our deepest, darkest secrets. And when I have done that, Every time it disproves some of the lies I believe yep. just a little bit more every time and shows me 
that those things don't disqualify me from being loved. Yeah, right. So, Rich, right now in your healing journey, you're still going deeper <laughs> and you're still getting more and more freedom. That's one of the reasons why I really admire you and respect you. And I'm, I'm happy you're on the show. So what does healing look like for you these days? Yeah, you know, the healing process is it's, it's a chore. I mean, it is, it is tough. Um, but I think for me, the healing process is, is knowing I have a story and I literally can share pieces of my story with every day with somebody calling and knowing that it's going to make a difference. And the reason it makes a difference is like, I talked to him about getting into counseling. Hey, I really recommend counseling or we get them in a group or I help them find a church local or one of our online groups, uh, knowing that I have an impact and then that I'm sharing something that, um, that people can resonate with, whether they've been abused, they've, they've abused somebody or just the addictive personality or the addictive stuff, you know, the, the cycles that we put ourselves in and, um, to know that I get to come to work every day and really change lives. Um, that's pretty freeing. I mean, that, that is something that, gosh, who would have thought I'd ever be doing this? I mean, obviously God had a plan, right? But to know that out of my own mess, God was taking, obviously, uh, what the, the enemy meant for, to destroy us, God is using it for, for the good. Right. And so that's what I hold on to is, is knowing that God has me here for a purpose. And, uh, um, that's pretty awesome to know that uh, my freedom walk continues because it's, you know, it's one thing if you just tell your story and you're done, right. And you don't, and you don't use my gift is, is my story. I'm, I mean, I get to use my gift that God has given me every day. It's one thing if you just give your testimony and then you never talk about it again. Sometimes I feel like even just, even during this, this time with you today, it's like sharing about the abuse or abusing my niece and the relationship with my brother, it still stirs up that emotion. Right. And so every time I share it, there's a little bit more freedom in that. So it's a, it's, it's not just a one and done, you know, I think if God says, Hey, this is your testimony and you only give it one time, it's great for that one time, but man, what about the other thousands of people that could hear the freedom that you have? And so I think that's for me is what I find, um, really kind of humbling, exciting. The fact that my story resonates every day with so many people, and not just my story. There's a lot of us that have a story. Um, but God has me in a position where I get to help, help people. Yeah. And some of those really messy parts of our stories or the parts that we don't like, um, maybe that somebody is in the middle of right now. Yeah. That mess can later become a message. Yep. Absolutely. And at Pure Desire, you guys have tons of opportunities for people to take that next step to write a new chapter of their stories, to, to turn their mess into a message. So what are some ways people can get plugged in with Pure Desire Ministries? The best way, couple couple ways really, um, if they're looking for counseling, we we kind of offer the, the the whole approach. We have the counseling process. Uh, they can call. We do uh, fifteen minute consultations for free. So for those that are struggling, individual or or couples, we do offer that. And then we have our groups. Uh, we have 
Unraveled, which is for women who struggle with um, sex, love, and relationships, betrayal and beyond for the betrayed spouse, the wives, and then obviously the seven pillars for the guys who are the addict. And we also have unra- um, not unraveled, but uh, we also have hope for men, for the men who have been or are the the betrayed spouse. Um, and then we have teen groups as well. So uh, we have material really kind of across the board and um, we have local groups around the world, which is crazy. Pure desire literally around the world. Uh, we're in, I think like five, 21 countries, I believe um, something like that. And uh, we're, you know, we're trained, we're working different translations. So we're, we're really reaching people around the world. And then even that's just the local groups. And then really being able to reach around the world. We also have our online groups uh, platform. And right now we probably have a hundred online groups running approximately literally with men and women from, you know, I just checked this morning and we, we see them from all around the world that are signing up. So, um, if there's not a group locally, we have online option. Um, you know, and, and if, if somebody goes to the website and they can't find something locally, we have groups that register with us that aren't on the map. So they can always call. We can connect them with something that may not even be on the map. Yeah, we've had so many guys at Husband Material who have benefited tremendously from being a part of Pure Desire groups. My brother-in-law did Pure Desire counseling, and that saved his marriage before it started. And so I have nothing but thanks and gratitude for Pure Desire. And your resources are really high quality, and you publish them all yourselves. I don't even know how you guys do that. We do. We have a great uh, uh, publishing department department in the back and uh so thankful for that we have some very committed volunteers that come in uh the printers do not shut off uh our production manager uh great guy michael he just runs that and and you know we have two three volunteers in there seems like every day pumping out the material it's pretty crazy how much material we print it's just for a small little really kind of that mom and pop, you know, Ted and Diane kind of feel we're still small, but we, we really help thousands of men and women around the world. It's just pretty remarkable. So I'm putting all the links to pure desire, counseling groups, resources in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with rich, we can put his information there too, for you guys. Yeah. And then rich, thank you so much for being with us. What is your favorite thing about freedom? My favorite thing about freedom, um, it has to be the giving back part, um, to know that my story will help the next guy. And then when that guy goes through his group, his story is now helping the next guy, that ripple effect. You know, when you cast one stone, it just, you don't need thousands and thousands of people. So, um, the fact that I can give back is is great and we talked about that a little bit but yeah that that would be the big one awesome man thanks so much thanks you appreciate it you're welcome and guys always remember you are god's beloved son and you he is well pleased 